I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so, Father, as we open up your word today, we are fully aware that this is your word. It's your truth from you to us. And so, Lord, as we get an opportunity again this morning together to study it, I just pray, Father, that your word would speak that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that, Lord God, in this, uh, Jesus would be lifted high in this place. And we pray, Father God, that as we leave this place today, we would be different, at least uh, in either our thinking, our actions, or our will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I just wanted to start off with this. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife was asked, how does Jeff feel the church is going? And some of you might be wondering that as well. Some of you might not. You might not wonder at all what I think about the way the church is going. But you're going to hear anyhow, okay? And, and my response to that was, you know, church would be incredibly perfect if only we had breakfast together. And guess what? We did. So it's a perfect church now. I'm, I'm joking about that. I didn't say that. But thank you, Rick and Don, and those that helped uh, with breakfast this morning. That was outstanding. It was so fun to be together and uh, to have some good fellowship before we came up. And now you can't fall asleep from being full, okay? You've got to stay awake, all right? But anyway, uh, actually, in all reality, uh, I thought I'd answer that question. How do I feel the church is, is going? And in all honesty, I would say overall, I am very encouraged at what God is doing in and through this church family. Overall, I am very encouraged. Now, that's notwithstanding the fact that we are, <laughs> who make up this church, we're imperfect, fragile fallible human beings. Yes, we are saints when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but we still struggle, don't we? That's also understanding that there is always improvement. There's always, just like in our personal lives as followers of Jesus, there's always room for improvement. So too, what I say in any church, uh, there's always room to do better. And I would also say there's always opportunity to, to provide more ministry and to, to be able to love on people even better uh, than we have. And so, so I understand full well, on top of all these things, that Satan doesn't want us to thrive for the Lord Jesus Christ. So recognizing that, that there are going to be bumps recognizing that there might even be some big things that look like obstacles to us. Um, I, I want to understand those, but overall, I would tell you, I am very encouraged 
in the way God is at work moving in our lives and in the life of this church. And as we now seek to reach out into this community even better, I'm very encouraged. And in fact, I thought maybe we would spend some time this month, this first month of this new year, just rehearsing our vision statement. Uh, Years ago, the leadership gave themselves over to prayer and we talked about where, who are we as a church and what has God been doing in and, and, and through us. And we, we put together a vision statement which basically says this, that Cornerstone Baptist would be a church family building great families. The Cornerstone Baptist Church would be a church family building great families. Let me, let me say this, because some of you are like, well, my kids have left home, so you're excluding me. No, 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 no. Are you part of the church family? Then you're involved in helping build great families. You're, you're involved in helping this church be a great church family, as well as involved in helping us um, build great families. And so, so this includes everyone. We're not being exclusive in this vision. We're just asking this question. Okay, 5, 10, 15 years from now, what does God want of us If we could look into the future and not even ask what could be, but really ask the question, what should be? We said, we believe God has equipped us and he's brought in people. And and what is he doing? He is asking us to be a church family building great families. Not what could be, but what should be. That's what should be. And, And to be honest with you, if you've been here for a long time, this is nothing new, right? I mean, be honest, this is nothing new. This church has had very, very solid ministry with children, with youth. This, this, this church is known in this community as the Iwana Church, right? Where kids come and they can learn about the Lord and they can grow in their understanding of who Jesus is. This church has already been known by that, so we're just saying, let's go with it, right? And in the course of saying that, over the last several years, we have watched the Lord. We haven't gone out and, and, and looked for this, but even in just making this statement, we have watched as the Lord continues to bring families into this church. I've had people who have been away for a while from our church come back and go, wow, you've got a lot of young families in that church. And we're just going, yep, <laughs> that's why our mission, our vision is to be a church family who is building great families. But you'll notice in this statement, the word great is kind of in these, I don't know if that's parentheses or what that is, but, but the idea is there's something behind that. There's a meaning in great. And so what we have said is these great families are defined in this way. They are families who are living out the four greats of Scripture which is the next slide, the, the four greats of Scripture. And if you uh, know anything about the Bible, we've talked about you know, before the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, and those are two of them. But let's start with the Great Confession, Matthew 16, 16, which is what we just read and what we're going to look at today is the Great Confession. So these are families who are living out the Great Confession. But secondly, these are families who are living out the Great commandment to love the Lord your God with everything and to love others as you love yourself. They are families who are living that out. They're families who are living out the great commission, right? To go therefore and make disciples of all nations. These are families who, who have that as, a, as one of their purposes. And then we added this, we looked at this and we thought this was very important. They are families who are living out the great commitment in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching, to, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They are devoted. They're committed to these things. So, so a, a great family that we're looking at, uh, that we're seeing as part of our vision, it, are families that are living out these four greats in Scripture. And so what I'd like to do is for this month is I'd like to take each one of these great Scripture principles, and I'd like to see if we could put some flesh on it. That sounds kind of gross, but the idea is, is what does that look like? If we want families, and for this first one, we're going to talk about the great confession. So if we're, if we're talking about a, a family that, that lives out the great confession, what does that look like? And so I'd like us to, to wrestle with that this morning. What does it look like to be a great confession family? And so we read this passage where Peter gives this great confession. But prior to that, notice in verse 13, Jesus led his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which is a, uh, probably a retreat place for Jesus. It's, it's probably, most scholars would say that this was probably midsummer over there in Israel. And Caesarea Philippi is at the base of, of uh, Mount Hermon, which would have snow caps on the top, and at the base would be kind of shady and cool. And so it's likely that Jesus led his disciples to this spot in this place and time for a purpose. And that purpose was to ask them the most important question you and I could ever be asked. Well, he asked two. First, he says, who do people say that I am? And notice what he says. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man was a, was a common term that Jesus used a lot in the Gospel of Matthew. He used that. It was the term he liked to refer to himself. It, it speaks of his humility that he, being God, put, took on flesh. And, and so it speaks of the humanity of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And he's just asking his disciples, Hey, we're here. Let me ask you, who are people saying the Son of Man is? Who are, what are they saying about me? And we have these different responses. And, and so they say, you know, some say you're, you're John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? He was this, uh, he was this uh, forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one who was a thunderous preacher calling people to repentance. So some say you're this thunderous preacher calling people to repentance. Others say Elijah. Elijah was a, was a great worker of miracles. He did many, many things. He even raised the dead, even at his death, which was amazing. And here's Elijah, this miracle worker. So some say you're this thunderous preacher calling us to repentance. Some say you're this miracle-working person. Others say you're Jeremiah who wept over the sins of the people. He was the, the, the prophet who was persecuted and suffering. And some say you're like a, a Jeremiah or you're one of the prophets. Either one, they were close but not dead on, right? So this is what other people were saying. Now let me, let me stop for a moment. Let me, let me say this. There is a question, whether it is verbally spoken or not, there is a question that you are confronted with daily that your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews are confronted with daily, whether it's outspoken or not. And it is that question, who is Jesus? And if you and I don't address that with them, they're going to hear all sorts of of answers, right? Oh, he's that, he's that, that uh, male chauvinist teacher, some would say. 
He is that, that guy that just wants to ruin all of our fun. Some might say it in a positive way. You know, he was a great man. He was a great teacher. He was an incredible example of what a leader is to look like. He even loved sacrificially. And they might answer it in the positive, but it's still not all that Jesus is, right? So when we ask, who do others say Jesus is, it's important for you and I as grandma and grandpa or, or mom and dad or aunt and uncle to have an understanding of what is being said about Jesus. But that's not the most important question because Jesus now turns it on the disciples and he, he, doesn't, even, he doesn't even comment. Did you notice? He doesn't even comment on what they said others are saying about him. He doesn't correct them, doesn't deny it because that's not the point here. He gets to the heart of it when he says, but who do you say I am? That is the most important question you and I could ever address, first of all, personally, individually, but also as a family. Also as a husband and wife. Also as parents, as kids, aunts, uncles, grandma and grandpa. It's the most important question that we could ever address. And so we have this, what we would call the great confession given by Peter in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying basically two things. First, he is saying, you are the Christ. You are, that word is anointed one. It is the Old Testament word Messiah. It's the the word for Messiah. So what's he saying? You are the Messiah. But now we have to ask the question, who's the anointed one? Who's the Messiah? Well, as the Jews understand in that day and age, they understood him to be a king who would come and would save them from, from earthly oppression. They were under this, under this time, they were under Roman rule. They were oppressed by Roman rule. And so they were looking for this Messiah, this, this king who would come and save them from all that. So there was a statement being made here. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the king who we've been hoping for, wishing for, waiting for, and you are here. Now, Peter had it somewhat right. Eventually, Jesus will be that. Eventually, he will be the ruler and king of the whole entire universe. But right there, he has come to be the saving king dealing with the sin of mankind. So I don't know that Peter exactly understood what he was speaking here, but certainly the Apostle Matthew, who wrote this down for us, understood later on that when he said, you are the Christ, he he meant to say, you are the Savior. You are the King we've been waiting for, the Anointed One. So what we come to understand is this. A great confession family is a family that confesses Jesus as Lord. A great confession family confesses Jesus as Lord. Number one, He is the Savior. He is the coming King. He is the anointed one. But secondly, notice what Peter says, you are the Son of the living God. You and I might go, well, that's cool. And some people would say, yeah, He's the Son of God, just like we're all children of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. But that's not what this means. What this means is he is the unique, the one and only son of the living God. What is being spoken here is not only is Jesus the Savior, but he himself is deity. 
deity. He is God in flesh. What does Jesus say in John 10.30? Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. And there are some who would say, well, that doesn't mean that he's saying he's God. And I would beg to differ because those who heard him, they were getting ready to kill him with rocks because they understood what he meant. They understood that what he was saying was he was claiming to be equal with God. And, and, and therefore, we got to understand, Jesus is a Savior, absolutely. He came to die on the cross to save us from the penalty, from the wrath that is going to be poured out by God onto sin. He came to save us. But he did so as God in human flesh, the Son of the living God. See, Jesus is Get ready, here's an opportunity for you to say amen. Jesus is Lord. He is Master. He is Chief. He is God in human flesh. And brothers and sisters, if that's true, we, if we want to have families and a church that is great, that follows the great confession, it means we don't just come to Him as Savior, but we follow Him as Lord of our life. And it starts by confessing. What, is, what do we hear in, in Romans? Paul says, man, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's to confess Him as Lord. We're talking about great families here who do this great confession. They say Jesus saved us, but He is Lord even of our family. That's what we're talking about. So a great confession family is one that certainly confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. But we all know, I know from experience, brothers and sisters, and you know from experience that sometimes we who are families that desire to confess Jesus as Lord, we're not always good at at living that out. I I read a little story this week that I thought was very right on. And, and probably speaks to, to that idea, if I can uh, find it. Um, it's right here. Uh, I read about a warship that had just returned from being overseas. And a young ensign, a, 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 command, a commissioned officer of the lowest rank, he showed himself to be responsive and so efficient that he got to be the one who, uh, under the captain's command, got to be the one who gave the commands to get that ship out of port and out into sea again. So as the ship was pulled away from the dock, the ensign gave a series of crisp commands, and before long, he had the docks buzzing with men. The ship left port and began streaming out, steaming out of the channel. The ensign's efficiency had been remarkable. In fact, so remarkable that the deckhands began to proudly acknowledge that he had set a new record for getting the destroyer underway. Well, the ensign glowed with pride and was not all that surprised when, when uh, uh, somebody came, a seaman approached him and gave him, handed him a message from the captain himself. So he opens this message up and here's what he read. My personal congratulations upon completing this exercise according to the book and with amazing speed. You, in your haste, however, have overlooked one of the unwritten rules of seafaring. Make sure the captain is on board before you leave the dock. 
And I thought, how appropriate. We who are families who want to be great and we want to confess the great confession that Jesus is Lord, even of our families, sometimes he still gets left on the dock, doesn't he? Sometimes we, we get so busy in the hectic pace of life and we got to get here and we got to do this. We got work, we got school, we got extracurricular activities, we got this and that and the other thing. And our lives get so busy. And pretty soon, yeah, we confess Him in name only and in mouth only, but we really don't, don't live it out. And so I want to expound on this confession because if you and I are going to seek to either be or help others become great families who confess Jesus Christ as the Lord, we need to understand that great confession families are those who have Jesus as their foundation. He's not just just somebody that they speak of and confess with their mouth, but they actually live it out. He is the foundation of everything they say and everything they do. Jesus is the one who is the, the foundation. And I, I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says. Paul there tells the, the believers, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needs to be the foundation of everything. He needs to be the foundation of this church family. He needs to be the foundation of your life individually. And he certainly needs to become or be the foundation of your family. Which means everything you say and do needs to be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 about the church, and I would say this is certainly true of family as well. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is the foundation. He's that cornerstone that everything else is lined up by. And that's certainly true of families that want to be great confession families. Not only do we confess Him with our mouth, but everything we say, everything we do is being built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing? Is when you and I are tempted to leave Jesus at the dock, what's amazing is the very next passage here in Matthew 16. Peter does the very same thing. What's incredible here is is Jesus blesses Peter for his statement. Notice verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then Peter, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Blessing upon Peter. Peter has made this great confession, but notice in the very next passage here in Matthew, Peter kind of leaves Jesus at the dock. Because notice what verse 21 says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And here's Peter. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. See, it's easy for us 
to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and then get so caught up in getting the ship out in the ocean that we leave him at the dock, just like Peter. And we think of earthly things rather than heavenly things. Jesus says, your mind's not on the kingdom of heaven. Your mind is on things of the earth. And it is so easy to do. It's so easy to do. And so what we're talking about here, if I could paint somewhat of a, of a picture, we're talking about families where Jesus truly is the center. He is the focus of the family. Last, yesterday, we, we got together with some very, very long-time friends. I mean, I'm not that old, so it wasn't very, very long time because, you know, Anyway, we've been friends for a long time, and, and we got to spend, you know, uh, the last day and a half with them and enjoyed it so much. But one of the subjects that came up is we raised our kids together, and, and they, like us, were like, okay, we got this wonderful child, but what do we do now? I don't know what to do. And so we took parenting classes together. We went through one series, uh, Growing Kids God's Way by the Ezos. Some of you may be familiar with that. We went through that, and I think Mona and I went through it four times and maybe taught it a fifth time, but it, we needed it. We needed it, and we talked about how, how that was. Well, one of the things that, that uh, Gary Ezo says in that series is this. He says, you know, so many times we, first of all, don't consider ourselves a family as just husband and wife. We think, ah, oh, we're a married couple, but not really a family. But the Bible in Genesis talks about that being a family, and I, that's not my point here, so if you want to talk to me more about that, we can talk about it. But he says what, what typically happens, though, especially in the United States, is a child is born, and pretty soon we put that child in the middle, and, and, and husband and wife grab hands with the child in the center. And then another child comes, and pretty soon you're stretched out. And then another child comes, and pretty soon you're, you can't even grab hands because there's three, you know, they're not that fat. But, you know, it does take up room the more children you have. And he gives this illustration. He says, pretty soon, not only is husband and wife falling apart because they're no longer touching, but that child or children become the center of the family. Everything we do is focused on them. What's going to be best for them? What can we do that will help them in their future here on earth? And he says, that's wrong. We get it wrong. Because time and time and time and time and time again, the Word of God says Jesus is to be the center. And so what we need to do is recognize as husband and wife, even before kids come, he's in the center. And then when a kid comes, we just give them room to, to hold on so that we get this circle. But Jesus is still in the center. Another child comes, Jesus is still in the center. Another child comes, Jesus is still in the center. Incredible concept, isn't it? Oh, wait. It's incredible because it's biblical, right? Christ is to be the center of the family. And I would submit to you that a lot of things, bad things happen when we put our children in the center and not Christ. So what we're talking about our church, or, or excuse me, our families that have in the center Jesus. And then when a kid comes along, they're encouraged to focus on Jesus as the center of the family. And another child comes in, and they're being taught that Jesus is the center of all we do. He is the reason we exist. And, and, and so imagine families where that is true. Christ is the center, not the child or not mom or dad, but Christ is the center. Imagine a family that really does pray together, and not just in the bad times. 
Imagine a family that encourages one another scripturally and and challenges one another in the Word of God. Imagine a family, and I'm going to look at Joel because he showed me a book called Family Worship, and I still have yet to order it, and and it's new enough for him, so we're going to have you report on that. Ten-page report, single-spaced. No, not really. (laughs) Okay, okay. But it sounds awesome. Family worship, family worship. So imagine a family that really does worship God, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week together. See, that's what we're talking about. A family that makes Jesus Christ their confession, and He is the foundation of everything they say and do. Imagine a family where a child goes even into the public school, which some struggle with, but even into the public school, comes across some issues and can come home and we can point to Christ through it all and say, you know what, you're going you're gonna to hit this as you become an adult. And so let's ask the question, how do we deal with it according to what Jesus says? See, imagine that kind of family. I want to be that kind of family. Do you? I want to have that kind of families as in our church family. Do you? See, because I would, I would submit to you, you want a strong church family, you have a lot of strong families, and then you're going to have a strong church family. You know what I'm saying? So we want to be involved in making great families where Christ is the, the foundation, where everything that is said and done is centered on Jesus Christ. Imagine a family whose worldview is different than the secular worldview. Imagine a family who holds up the Word of Christ as our worldview. Imagine a family that does not buy into the lies that Satan has got into this culture because they know the right answers according to the Word of God. They have a a Christian... I shouldn't say Christian because that's even wrong. I mean, some people take the word Christian, but they have a a biblical, right-on, accurate, biblical worldview of things. And they don't let what the culture says dictate what they think. They let the Bible dictate what they think. Imagine that. Imagine a family that, that is an encouragement to other families. That is not just so focused on themselves and and selfish with, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. But a family that can come together and can encourage others, that can love on others, that can show the love of Christ to others, not because they want to make themselves look good, but because they love Christ so much, they can't help but love others. Can you imagine that? I'm getting excited. Are you getting excited? Or are you just saying, hurry up, pastor, I want out of here? Imagine that. That's the kind of great family we're, we're talking about. We want to talk about a family that, 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 whose parents demonstrate what a true marriage, a blessed marriage is. A marriage that is, that is in accordance with the Word of God. Imagine kids growing up with a positive example and saying, for young guys, you know what, when I'm a husband, I want to be a husband like my dad. And a young gal saying, I want to be a wife like my mom. And a young gal saying, I want a husband like my dad. He treats my mom so well. And a young man saying, I'm looking for a girl who is like my mom. Can you imagine that? I hear, I, unfortunately, I hear opposite of that all too often. Well, I know I don't want a wife like my mom. Sad truth is, is, They end up, anyway, we won't go there. Um, 
You understand, right? Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. I won't go. Uh, but, but, but imagine this. What we're talking about are these kind of families where Jesus is not just confessed, but he is the foundation of all that they say and do. That's what we're talking about. And so when we say we want to be a church family, building great families, that's part of what we mean. We want to be a church family that's building families who makes their foundation Jesus Christ. So let me just ask as we close, what does that require of a church? If we are wanting to be a church that builds these kind of families, let me encourage you that it means we are a church who does these things. We are an example. We are an encouragement. We are a resource, and we are support. So we are an example. I would submit to you that the best way for a family to see what a family should look like is their own church family. When you and I are treating one another as though Jesus truly is the foundation of all we say and do, then that's going to be exemplified, and these families are going to be able to see that, and they're going to go, oh, okay, now I'm kind of understanding what it looks like to be one of these great families. So that means you and I, if we want to be involved in this vision, you and I are constantly asking, how should I respond? How should I relate? How should I be in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, with others who have confessed Jesus as their Savior and are seeking to follow Him as Lord? How should I be in relationship with them? What does that look like? How can I exemplify that, not only to the whole church family, but to the families within the church? church family, right? It means we need to be an example, brothers and sisters, not a negative one. We don't want them to go, well, I know I'm not going to do that. We want to be a positive example, right? But we also need to be an encouragement. And by that, I mean this. Too often, those of us who are more mature, in quotes, for those on the recording, it's, I'm using quote marks because mature, I'm using that very sarcastically here. Sometimes we consider ourselves much more mature, and by that we think that means we can put down young believers, young families. By that we think we can, because we are so mature, we think they should be like us in every way, and we should have a right to talk negatively about them. That's not an encouragement, brothers and sisters. That's a discouragement. Who wants to go to a church where they hear some people who are, quote, mature, speaking bad about them? On the other hand, wouldn't you want to go to a church where they go, I know we're falling short. I know we're struggling in this area as a family. And instead of other brothers and sisters who are truly mature putting them down, they're coming alongside of them and saying, man, I know it's hard. I've been where you are. I know it's a struggle. I know that you blow at times. I certainly did. But I want to encourage you, keep going, keep going. You can do it. You can do it. I want to be a part of a church like that, would you? See, we need to be an example we need to be an encouragement. We need to be a resource. We need to be a church family who offers parenting and marriage enrichment classes, who, who offers discipling for men. And I know Steve is doing that with our men and, and encouragement for the women. Sisters is doing that. And, and I know these things are happening, but we could do, like I said at the beginning, I believe God is doing some incredible things, but we could always do better.
And wouldn't it be awesome to be able to offer marriage enrichment courses, uh, parenting classes, um, conflict resolution stuff, all according to the Word of God, by the way. I'm not saying secular stuff. I'm talking the Word of God, biblical principles, biblical commands. What if we were able to offer those things? Wouldn't that be awesome? We want to be a resource. That's why there's books out on the table there from the library because we want to be a resource. If you're here going, man, I'm struggling in some of these things, check out those books. They might help you in some areas, okay? So we want to be a resource, and then certainly we want to be a support. That is to say, we want to continue to have Cornerstone Kids. We want to continue to have a WANA where your kids are being trained and taught in the very things that you and as parents are teaching them in. See, the Bible says it's your responsibility to teach them these things, so our responsibility is to come and support that. We want to encourage them and say, you know what, your mom and dad have been saying this. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're saying too. We want to encourage you to be these kind of kids who, who are the kids that your parents are. We want to be a support to all parents in that as well. Is that making sense? So here's the deal. I believe that if we want to build great families, we're looking, first of all, at families who have Jesus Christ as their foundation. That they not only confess Him as Lord, but they have the foundation of Jesus to be all that they say and all that they do. And if we're going to do that, we need to continue growing as a church. Be an example for them. Be an encouragement to them. Be a resource for them and a support How is our church doing? God has us right where He wants us. I wholeheartedly believe that. God has us right where He wants us. But the wonderful thing about our loving, gracious Father is He wants us to continue to grow. (laughs) He has us right where He wants us, but He also wants to lead us into areas of growth as a church and as individuals and as families that make up this church family. And so I'm just asking us, will we allow Him to lead us in that growth? Will we allow Him to become, or to, to lead us to become more and more a church family that really does build these kind of great families? Would you pray with me? For some in this place, it might mean that you come to confess Jesus as your Savior in the first place. That you come to realize what Peter has said, that He is the Anointed One. That He is the One who died on the cross for our sin. That He experienced the wrath of God so that we don't have to. And maybe some of you have never came, come to a point where you've confessed that yourself, where you've believed in your heart that, yes, God raised Him from the dead, but you've also never confessed Him to be your Savior, your Lord. And I pray, dear friend, if that's you today, that today would be the day when you would just do that. You, you don't have to stand up and, and, and you don't have to do anything except in your own heart right now. Just say, Lord, I believe And I receive Jesus as my Savior. He is the one and the only one. I believe Him and I receive Him to be my Savior. And if that's you, friend, and you want to just receive Him right now, do it right now. It's it's no, He hears your heart. He hears your prayer. Just pray. But for some of us in this place, 
It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to leave Jesus at the dock. And maybe you're here today and and you're realizing, you know what? Not only has our family done that, but I've done that as an individual follower of Jesus. I've I've just kind of gone on with life. And yes, I I believe that He's my Savior and and I know He is God, but I really haven't been following Him as God. I've I've been leaving Him at the dock in my life. And maybe that's you today. And maybe right now your prayer needs to be a confession. Lord, I confess I've done this. But it also may need to be a prayer of rededication. Lord, I want to follow You. I want You to be in the ship. I want You to continue to be my captain, my master, my Lord. Make that Your prayer right now. And I know for sure as attenders and members of Cornerstone, each one of us are being called today to be that kind of church that helps build great families. And so would you pray, Lord, use me. Lord, help me to be an example. Help me to be an encouragement. Help me to be a resource and a support for families. And so, Father, thank You. You know the hearts. You know the prayers that are being lifted up in this place right now. Some, some may be here just offering up their prayers for to receive Jesus as their Savior. And I pray for them, Father, that You would encourage them right now. Some may be offering up prayers of rededication. Lord, You know their heart, and I pray that You would just invade them with Your presence and Your love. Father, may You just encourage us as a church family. Continue to give us understanding of what it looks like to be that kind of church that really does invest deeply in families. Father, we love You. We thank You for what You're doing. And we thank You for what You're yet going to do as we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.